Chapter Two of the King's Daughter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King's Daughter by Pansy. Chapter Two. The Young Mistress. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. It was anything but an inviting picture upon which her eyes rested, that long, dreary dining room, with the sun pouring in as blindingly as it could through cobwebby, fly stained windows slanting its beams toward the table spread for supper. Dell went resolutely toward that table and made her eyes take in all the details. It is safe to say that she received there her first knowledge as to how wretched a thing a table set for supper could be made to look. The cloth was stained with coffee and tea and daubed with egg and molasses and gravy. The sun had accomplished a melting process with the butter and five or six flies had found oily graves. The bread was evidently that which had been cut at noon and left over, and, being unable to melt, had taken to drying instead. The flies were holding a perfect carnival over the uncovered sugar bowls, apparently never missing those who were sailing around in the milk pitchers. In a certain house in Boston there was one of the daintiest of dining rooms, with a bay window all aglow with geraniums and tea roses, and one great white lily. It was next to impossible that Dell should not think of that dining-room, and of the vacant side where she sat only last evening. She thought of it, but the thought did not appear in her words. She gathered up the skirt of her buff linen dress about her, looked at the floor, and said, Oh, my patience! I wonder if I have enough of that commodity for this occasion. It is too late to mop, but there are several other things to be done. First, though, where is father? Nobody was in the dining-room, and, after hesitating a moment, she stepped across the hall to the bar-room. There were five or six loungers who looked at her as if she had been an apparition. Confused by her unusual position, it was some minutes before she could single her father out from among the group, whose feet were disposed around the room on the backs of chairs and settees. When she did, she promptly summoned him to a conference in the hall. "'Father,' she said, closing the door on the staring men, with a little gesture of disgust, "'am I the housekeeper?' Then the father stared, and finally chuckled. "'I don't know about that,' he said at last. "'I shouldn't wonder if Sally thinks she is.' "'Who is Sally?' "'She is the cook, and you'll have to do about right if you don't want to get turned out, and like enough you'll get turned out anyhow, if her back happens to get up about anything. I've been expecting leave to go off and on these three months.' "'But, father, I want to be housekeeper myself. I can't do anything for your comfort unless I am mistress, and I want to have things different. It isn't comfortable in there.' This with an indication of her head toward the dining-room. Her father shrugged his shoulders expressively. "'No more it ain't,' he said earnestly. "'I've most forgot the meaning of the word. Why, Dell, I ain't had no comfort since your mother died.' There was a plaintive sound to his voice as he repeated the last sentence impressively that brought tears to Dell's eyes. "'Poor father,' she said, with a gentle caressing touch of her hand on his coat-sleeve. "'Well, we'll have things different after a while. Then I'm to be mistress, am I?' Whereupon her father shook his head again. "'I dunno about that. You must keep on the right side of Sally, and Kate she ain't far behind, though I do think she ain't quite so obsteperous-like.' Who is Kate? Well, she's the chambermaid and dining-room girl and maid of all work, sort of pretty decent kind of a girl when she ain't mad, which she is mostly. But, father, I want it the other way. 
I want them to be trying to keep on the right side of me. Mr. Bronson looked thoughtfully down at the young creature before him, then presently he laughed. What would you do if they should both flare up and leave? he asked, with an air of one who had presented a formidable trouble, but her answer was prompt and decided. Get others in their place, of course. And suppose they sass you and don't pay no attention to your notions? Then I should dismiss them. There really seemed to be something refreshing to the father in his daughter's brisk, bright words and ways. He looked down at her admiringly and chuckled his answer. You're pretty cute, I guess. Well, fight it out with Sally and Kate if you can. I'll back you. But you'll get sick of it and dodge and leave things go to everlasting smash as I have. But even as he said this, he had a dim notion that this daughter of his was different from himself and would be very likely to accomplish what she undertook and as he went back to that horrid bar-room, he winked confidently to old Joe Simmons and said, She's a brick now, I tell you. As for Dell, she went directly to the kitchen. Oh, the kitchen! Adjectives would fail in their attempt to describe it. Dell, on the threshold, paused and said in an undertone of dismay, Shall I ever be able to eat any more dinners as long as I live? Then, seeing that the two slatternly beings who occupied the space between the stove and the sink had each two sharp eyes, she stepped forward and spoke pleasantly. How do you do? I know your names, but I don't know just which of you own each name. Which is Sally and which is Kate, please? The red-haired creature answered, with arms pressed against her fat sides, I'm Sally and hers Kate. Do you want anything out here? Several things, was Dell's prompt answer. In the first place, Sally, I want to know if you have any clean tablecloths? Perhaps I has, and perhaps I hasn't. What about it? Only that Kate and I want a clean one right away. We're going to set the table over again, and that cloth in there is all ready for your wash-tub. Kate giggled, and Sally frowned. The table is set for supper, she said wrathfully, and it is about time to have it, and it's going to be had, too, and folks as doesn't belong to the kitchen had better keep out and not spoil their fine clothes. Dell's voice was clear and firm and yet gentle. Then we'll delay supper for half an hour and get the table into proper order. And, Sally, I may as well explain to you now that I am Mr. Bronson's daughter, and I have come here to take charge of his house. I am very much obliged to you for doing it all the while. It must have been hard for you to have had so much care and a great deal of work besides, but now I have come home to share the work, and I hope it will not be very hard for either of us. Sally's face had grown ominously dark during this little speech, gracefully worded and gently spoken though it was, and at its close she burst forth. Indeed, I think it won't be hard for me any longer. I'll not do another stroke of work in this house. I'll not be bossed about by any red-cheeked chit like you. I'll tell you that. Ere she had done speaking, Dell's hand was in her pocket. She drew forth her porte-monnaie and spoke in a calm, dignified tone. Very well, how much do I owe you? Poor cross Sally, her favorite weapon, which she had held over the heads of so many helpless mistresses, with which she had, endless times, driven poor Mr. Bronson back to the bar-room in despair, had never before met with such a response. She stood silent and dismayed, whereat Kate could not forbear giggling again. Dell saw her advantage, and with rare diplomacy followed it up. With quiet dignity she returned her porte-monnaie to her pocket, and spoke gently and pleasantly. I will overlook your improper language to me, Sally, because I see you have allowed yourself to become angry. 
I will even give you time to change your mind, if, after thinking the matter over, you decide that you want to try whether we cannot get along comfortably together, and be helps to each other, we will say no more about this. But if you still want to go, you may come to me tomorrow morning for your wages. Then she turned instantly to Kate, with a bright smile. Now, Kate, if you will get that tablecloth, you and I will set to work and see how soon we can get supper ready. Then she left the kitchen in some doubt as to whether she would see either Kate or the tablecloth, but she set resolutely to work clearing the dishes to a side table, and presently Kate appeared with a beautifully clean tablecloth hanging over her arm. Dell's eyes fastened upon it in genuine pleasure. It was possible, then, to have something clean. "'Who does the ironing?' she said eagerly, as they spread out the cloth with its crisp, fresh folds. "'I does, mostly,' Kate answered. "'I irons the tablecloths.' "'It is beautifully done,' the young mistress said brightly. "'I never saw one look nicer than this.' Kate's face broke into a broad, pleased smile. It was new to her to hear words of commendation. She tramped briskly about, doing Dell's bidding with an air of satisfaction, and Dell, as she looked at her round, homely face, knew that Kate's heart was won. They were very busy during the next half hour. With some pleasant explanation, one improvement after another was suggested. The knives rubbed a little, a damp cloth was taken to the glass sugar bowl, fresh milk pitchers brought, freshly cut cakes of butter on glittering squares of ice, freshly cut plates of bread, and goblets washed until they shone. It do make a difference, Kate said philosophically, and Dell thought it did. She could hardly make it seem the same table that she had surveyed half an hour before. A few more touches, and the supper was ready. "'Do you wait on the table?' Dell asked of Kate, with many an inward misgiving as to the girl's slatternly appearance. Maggie, the girl who waited at Aunt Laura's table, was such a picture of neatness. But if she had but known it, Kate looked much better than usual, having smoothed her hair and put on a net in honor of the expected newcomer.' She remembered it, and conscious of her superior appearance, she answered blandly, I does. Then I believe we're ready, aren't we, Sally? I'll take in your tea-cakes, Kate, while you roll down your sleeves, and— Do you wear white aprons? You have one, haven't you? Suppose you run and get it, then, and I'll ring the bell. La, said Kate, with a touch of grumness, yes, I has one, but I don't wear it. They does not care— if I only gives them tea enough and bread and butter, that's all they wants. They doesn't know whether my apron be white or black. Very likely, Dell said, with unfailing good humor. But then, you see, we care, and we want to have everything very nice tonight. Do you iron aprons as nicely as you do tablecloths? Run and get yours on until I see if you do. And Kate, much to her own astonishment, went. The tea-bell rang, and they lounged in from the bar-room and piazza. Among them two brisk young clerks who had just come, one from the post office and the other from the store. Dell, in the pantry, just off the dining room, waited to watch Kate's movements and heard the comments. The two clerks sat opposite each other, and they looked into each other's astonished eyes. "'I say, Tom,' one of them ejaculated, "'the millennium's come. Did you know it? Clean cloth, clean knives, and no flies in the milk, as true as you're alive.' "'Yes, and look at the butter, will you? "'Tisn't the millennium, it's paradise.' This was his companion's response. Dell heard their comments and smiled and sighed, smiled over their evident satisfaction, and sighed to think that perhaps this was really their highest idea of that paradise which their tongue so lightly syllabled. 
Presently her father came in, and Dell watched eagerly to see if he would note the changes. He took his accustomed seat, looking slowly down the length of the table, and then deliberately arose, and, lounging out to the kitchen sink, washed his hands. Then, disappearing for a moment, returned with his hair brushed and a linen coat covering his soiled shirt sleeves, and Dell gleefully clapped her hands over this emphatic comment on the new order of things. Alone in her room that night, she tried to think calmly about this new life that had opened to her. She tried to shut out that fair green room with its dainty belongings, the luxurious home in its elegant beauty, appealing to every one of her delicately educated senses, tried to shut out the vivid sense of the difference between the pure, pale, refined, life-ennobled face of her uncle Edward and the uncultured, stolid face of her father. Failing in both these efforts, she turned resolutely away from them all, and drawing from her pocket her tiny Bible, she read about that other home of hers, where they had no need of the sun in his glory, because of the eternal glory that was beyond all earthly brightness, and about the other father of hers, the shining of whose face was the light of heaven, read until her own face shone with the reflection of all this unutterable grandeur, and earthly homes and friends faded and were forgotten. End of chapter 2 Recording by Tricia G.